This is The Anatomy of Eloquence, a podcast that dissects the innermost workings of great communication. I'm your host, Nick, communication strategist, brand theorist, and resident didactic. For the last decade, I've been helping startups and CEOs reshape their communication with the world. I'm Andrew Yang, not the former presidential candidate, but I was a former presidential speechwriter. And for the past 10 years, I've worked with national leaders, public company CEOs, and startup founders on their communication. Welcome back to the Anatomy of Eloquence. Today, we want to take you behind the scenes in a conversation that Andrew and I have been having for quite a while about what is the future of pitching. And it kind of gets bound around this question, which is we give startups a lot of advice. We've heard investors give this comment and feedback that the purpose of a pitch is to create really interesting conversations. It's not about going in there and just throwing a solution and answer at them, but to create a back and forth in which everyone can learn something and enjoy that conversation itself. And so given the current path of pitching and nature of pitching, that doesn't always happen. And is there a future in pitching where that is the goal to have really great conversations? And what does it mean to do that? I mean, even when we think about individually outside of the startup world or even outside the workplace, what is actually an interesting conversation? I think I would wager that for a lot of us, a really bad conversation is one almost like the political conversations that we're seeing today (laughs) where each side just holds to different values, different truths. They think that their truths are absolute and the other side is wrong. And so the conversation becomes not so much a conversation as a shouting match. Uh, You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Because this is the way of the world and I'm here to convince you. And if you're not convinced, then we'll just yell at each other until someone breaks down or gives up. Yeah, exactly. And then it gets also gets really emotional, right? Mm. It's almost like the outcome of that debate, or it's beyond a debate, it's a battle. That the outcome of, of that battle is in a way existential for each side. So they're personally invested invested in it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And losing the battle. So it's about winning and losing, fighting against each other, losing is not even an option. And actually we have seen even live certain investor pitch sessions turn into this, where the investor just says, no, you're wrong. This is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And the entrepreneur is like, what do you mean? I already have clients. I already have customers and users and they tell me that they love my product. So what do you mean? I don't agree. And the investor is like, no, this will not work. And it becomes really defensive Mm -hmm. and it just ends in a bad place where the founder leaves angry, the investor is frustrated, and they they vow never to work with each other again. And even taking it one level down from that, which is when people are looking at that investor conversation as a win-lose, as they invest or don't invest, and that's the entire outcome of our relationship, that's also a loss as far as the quality of conversation because... In getting to these good quality conversations, we've seen and heard stories where the investor didn't invest, but the amount of resources or connection they brought the team instead of money was more than worth that conversation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those conversations 
took a different turn. Yeah. Right? It didn't end the investment. But the quality of the conversations in that room was such that the investor was willing to help the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur was willing to like stay in touch and continue that relationship. So now the question is, what is what is what is the critical factor in that conversation that made that happen rather than end in like emotional defeat? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think we have a suspicion, and actually this episode is in itself a hypothesis. So our, our hypothesis for what makes a good conversation between a founder and an investor is something that we've heard numerous investors talk about, which is intellectual honesty. It's one of those terms that kind of just flies by. I mean, people are like nodding, but what exactly does that mean? Right? Intellectual honesty. For me, intellectual honesty is being open to different data points, evidence, and perspectives. Hmm. It's almost being open to being wrong. It becomes like the way we described the conversation before, how it was antagonistic, working against each other mm-hmm. and trying to convince you that I am right and you're wrong. Instead of that, intellectual honesty is, okay, what is the right answer here? Maybe you have evidence that I can take into account. Mm-hmm. I have data points that you should take into account. So let's look for the outcome. Let's let's look for the answer together. Getting into how this relates to pitching, sort of the outcome of having this conversation is the realization that intellectual honesty, that answer, may not come in terms of statements. Your answers are not statements, but actually the conversation comes in terms of questions. Asking the right questions, talking about how you've worked on finding these answers, and then having a back and forth conversation around how does this evolve into something in the future. So it's not statements of truth, it's questions about truth, Hmm. and then brainstorming verification of that truth going forward. And when you start to look at it this way, then being wrong does not invalidate your answer. Being wrong does not destroy your truth. Being wrong is not devastating. It's a data point. It's something that I'm not taking personally. I'm just looking at it and going, oh, you have different information than I. Okay, what question can we ask about how this affects what we're doing? Or what question can we ask about how that changes the future? And then get into, all right, how do we validate that? And it's kind of contrary to how most people think about pitching, right? Because pitching, it's almost like you're trying to give the investor an answer. You need to have an answer for everything. Yeah. But to us, that's kind of the wrong mindset. As you talk about, just to give an example, because we've been talking about this, and it's some of you may think it's a a bit conceptual. Well, one example is I was reading a, a recent article written by, I think, First Round Capital on their one of their portfolio companies, Looker. And this is a really long article. <laughs> we can post the, the link in the show notes. But it's both first round capital, the VC, and the founders giving their perspectives on the history of Looker. Now, Looker is a data analytics company, and they were acquired by Google for a few billion dollars. What we found interesting in what the VC and the founders said 
about the history and recalling some of their conversations was exactly this, was the founders recalling questions that they asked and mentioning that it was actually uncertain. Hmm. So the question that they, they, they posted was this. So they said that before they, they figured out what they figured out eventually, data scientists, if you were a company and you were an analyst or a team member and you wanted to inquire into the data, you actually had to formulate your question, bring it to the data science team, ask data scientists to work on it. They will go and run queries and because it's kind of technically complicated. And then in a few days, they'll come back to you with the answer. They thought that was just too time consuming and that if you were running business in a fast moving environment, you just needed data and answers almost instantaneously. Hmm. So you had essentially needed to enable team members to query the data themselves and do that instantaneously. And so they, their way of doing that was scary because it was to invent a new programming language that analysts, non-data scientists could use to query the data. So that was the that was the hypothesis you can say is that if we invent a new easy to use programming language that analysts could use they would use it. Mm -hmm. And that was at that time they said it was one of the founders said like that was a really scary one because that hypothesis could be validated or invalidated. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was interesting to me because they didn't post it like like a truth, like an answer. Yeah. This is our solution and it's going to work. Yeah. Right. It's almost like, yeah. So our success actually depends on this question. Hmm. And if it came back negative, <laughs> then we'll figure out what to do. Yeah. Right? But it's not just giving you an absolute truth. And this goes contradictory to a lot of advice where it's like, if an investor asks you a question, you have to have a confident answer that shows them, you know, what you're talking about in the idea of pitching an hypothesis and asking these great questions, it becomes a matter of, you don't always know the answer. Now, the difference between saying, I don't know, and I don't know, but here's what I have done to validate this, there's a huge gap there. And what you're really getting at is, how do you ask really interesting questions, but then succinctly show how you're trying to validate or invalidate this hypothesis? And part of that, I think, What's interesting to us is the consequence that follows from doing that. Mm. Because if you can pose really interesting questions and you can admit that, yeah, this is a question that we'll need to validate. It's a hypothesis we'll need to validate. Then I think the conversation moves to how do we measure it? Right. Because you can pose a hypothesis. Like if we um, write, for example, if we create a new programming language, and let's just say we show it through our network to 10 analysts. Mm -hmm. Would they be able to learn it and use it comfortably and be willing to continue using it? Like let's say within a week or two weeks. And you can set that, right? It becomes a conversation of how do we conduct this experiment and what would constitute, like for example, 10 analysts if seven of them adopt it mm -hmm. and continue to use it? that's success, or is it five? Yeah. You can start to, to make it into an open conversation about what constitutes success, and then you can also have follow-up. Instead of having the conversation stay at, no, you're wrong. And I think that that follow-up is really key. Not only the follow-up with 
talking to the investor. Like if they say you're wrong and you don't have a follow-up, then it ends. But even for yourself, you can talk about your failures in terms of, okay, this was my hypothesis. This is where it didn't go wrong. But because I designed it in hypothesis and experiment, I can actually look at the parameters of my experiment. It's not I was 100% wrong. It was maybe there was something issue with the parameters. Maybe it was actually the people using it just didn't want to learn a new language. Or maybe it was the language was too hard. So I can start to look at those parameters. And as we're building this all out, again, we're looking at if we take this very hypothesis plus experiment-driven mindset, how does a pitch change from this answer-driven format that we have today into creating really good conversations, but remembering that it's a pitch, right? You cannot call up an investor and be like, I would like to meet you to have a brainstorming session. It still needs to feel as though it's flowing in a pitch, but how do we rethink the way that pitching works? So getting into the how-to, now we've already said that this episode is in itself a hypothesis. So this part, we're also gonna offer a hypothesis, which is that we suspect that pitching in hypothesis will lead to better conversations rather than the investor simply judging, saying whether you were right or wrong. It will lead to a better conversation. So instead of offering a tutorial, we'll just offer an initial step, something to try, which is that you shouldn't think of your pitch as simply offering answers. Think about offering questions and then providing some initial answers. For example, recall some of the things that your team did, right? It could be something about your technology. If we try this thing, if we try this component, the whole thing will work better. Or it could be about go-to-market strategy. Now, when you get into the pitch session, don't just come out and give the answer. Here's what we did, here's what we did. Say, here's a key question. We were thinking that by trying this go-to-market path, we will get faster adoption. And now how do we test that? So here's our approach, and here is the result that we got. All right, so again, don't offer answers directly, but recall the key question that you ask yourself, and then talk a little bit about how you approached validating or invalidating the hypothesis, and then simply give the data. We suspect that this will lead to better conversations. So to take the steps that Andrew just outlined and to give you a more concrete example of what the difference between a general pitch statement versus laying out this hypothesis, it could sound something like this. And this is actually a situation that I myself have another podcast with another partner of ours that's a bilingual professional communication podcast for executives in Taiwan and early on in our conversations, we had a long debate about what language our podcast should be in. Now, if I was to pitch this in a pretty traditional manner and just straightforward tell people what the problem is and what the answer is, it may sound like this. When it comes to professional language learning podcasts, everything is either fully in Chinese or fully in English. And what we decided to do was make a 50-50 bilingual podcast that could grow as fast as these others. And in about a six months time, we were able to reach a several thousand consistent listenership, which showed us that, in fact, bilingual was the way to go. 
and our numbers have shown climbing the Spotify charts or other charts that people actually like this style of podcast. Very straightforward. I'm using my numbers to boost that I think this is the right answer. But let me switch that around to a more hypothesis-driven idea. Early on in our podcast, we came across an interesting problem, which is that right now, most of the language learning professional business podcasts either existed purely in Chinese or purely in English. And we had a debate of, well, why do we have to follow what everyone else is doing? And a lot of people told us, well, it's easy because then it's shorter, it's easier to listen to, and I can learn something. And we thought, well, why don't we do bilingual? And the process was, why would you want to double the length of your podcast? Why would you want to make people think in multiple languages? There's a lot of problem with that. But rather than just look at conventional wisdom or exactly what the market was doing, we decided that we should set up an experiment that allows us to understand if this is possible. And so we worked on, do we do 50-50? Do we do 70-30? Do we do 90-10? But still, both languages should be apparent. And in order to tell us whether this works or not, we set a goal to say, within the first six months of our podcast, we need to hit a several thousand consistent listenership. If that was out there and also inviting feedback, then we would know that this truly bilingual format actually works. So what we found is that after about three months, we hit our first thousand listenership. After about six months, we hit 5,000. And around a year in, we have about a 10,000 consistent listenership. And most of the written feedback that we've gotten is they really like the bilingual format for two reasons. One is they can learn in the primarily target language, but they can take mental breaks by getting explanations in their native language. And the other thing that happens that people really quite enjoyed was they actually wanted my Chinese-speaking host to go back and forth with English herself. They wanted to get her feedback in the target language, not just work as a translator, but actually have conversations that flowed back and forth in the language so that they can follow along and practice switching their thinking style. Okay, so those are two different ways to pitch, right? One is directly offering answers, which is a bilingual podcast. Yes. And then the result, the numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that's probably a shorter pitch, but we would argue it's actually less interesting because you're not sparking, you're just giving answers and results. And then you're turning it over to them for them to ask questions. Right. And there's right. ways that they can just start poking holes in that. Be right. like, well, did you try anything else? Like, how do you know that you wouldn't grow faster? Right, exactly. And, but this way of pitching, setting up the questions that you ask yourself first hmm. and then showing, okay, we have a measure. If we can hit this number, then we'll know we're on the right track. And this also facilitates something else. This is what we're arguing, or this is what the hypothesis that we put out here is that it's this way of pitching is also conditioning both sides to have a conversation hmm. because then you can actually move on to the next stage, which is what you potentially need money for. Mm -hmm. You've already talked about what you've done in the past in terms of hypotheses that you validate or invalidate. 
you can very naturally then move on to future hypotheses. For example, for your podcast, you can say, well, we already have near, what is it like near 10,000 listeners. Yeah. Our next hypothesis is that, is this a bilingual format of professional communication learning? Is it attractive enough for people to pay for? Mm. Would they subscribe to it? Now let's set up a tiered, like initial subscription service and let's test that, right? Or you can pick another one. Like mm -hmm. next stage, the answer, the hypothesis that we wanna test is this. And in order to build that out, we need investment. Mm. And that links to how much money you actually need. Right. Because you're talking about very specific things to test. Mm -hmm. And you've already proven that your thought process goes hypothesis. I know how to design an experiment that gives me data to make better decisions going forward. Right. And so when you get into how am I gonna use your investment, it's not, again, straightforward. How much money goes here? How much money goes here? How much money goes here? It goes, here's a question, and here are the experiments I have designed in order to maximize the, the data outcome of the money. Right. That also gives you a way to get very concrete about investor critique. Mm. Because if an investor tells you that's stupid, you can then say, which part of it is stupid? Yeah. Is that a stupid question? Is that a bad hypothesis? Or is the experiment badly designed? Mm -hmm. Or is the measure, the quantitative measure, badly designed? Right. And if they can't give you anything specific, they just say you're stupid and you're wrong, then you know they're probably not the right investor for you. Yeah, because they're not interested in the conversation. They're interested in an right. end result. Yeah, or they're just interested in judging you. <laughs> right and being judgmental right. to feel superior about themselves exactly right and if they think that you are not on the right track you could even turn a question on them mm -hmm. and say well what do you think is a better direction can you think of a better market or a better hypothesis for us to test mm. yeah then it cannot just be this won't work right it's along the lines of okay so what's the question i should be asking exactly we hope that you enjoyed this style of conversation. Like we said, this is quite different than our other anatomies where we actually give you a breakdown and step-by-step -step process. But here in the 10th episode of what we do, we kind of wanted to bring you in on the conversation, bring you in on the genesis of how these ideas get formed and where we think are going. As we said, this is our hypothesis on what the future of really good pitching will be. And if you have a hypothesis on your idea or you have a hypothesis on the future of pitching and presentation, we'd actually like to hear back from you as well. Because like we said, this is not about being wrong and being invalidated. It's about getting enough data points to see how things go forward. We'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. Bye.